book of Genesis, chapter 17. As we read of this covenant that our form alludes to, and that baptism is a part of, as that covenant is given its sign in Genesis chapter 17. I invite you to not just close your Bibles when I'm done, but to leave them open as we'll be examining several passages of Scripture this morning in light of this passage. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. As far as the reading of God's word at this particular time, let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessings. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We ask that you will guide Pastor Bob as he speaks on this word, that we may fully understand it. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. So our subject this morning is what does Scripture say about baptism? If you're following the outline, we want to look at three main points in regards to that. First of all, the foundation of baptism. Secondly, the effect of baptism. And thirdly, the responsibilities of baptism. The foundation the effect, and the responsibilities. Why do we need to talk about this subject? Well, number one, because it's included in God's Word. Baptism certainly plays a very important role in the New Testament. And so does covenant play an important role in both Old and New Testament. 
And so we need to have a proper understanding of that which we did this morning because we need to have a proper understanding of Scripture. But it is an issue, isn't it? It is a controversy. Reformed theologian J.C. Burkhauer wrote the following in regards to this. This is why the controversy about infant baptism is so important. It involves that which God himself signifies and seals. Those who oppose infant baptism are therefore accusing the church of exceeding its qualifications by speaking of what God does in the midst of the community. The writer commentating on Burkhauer's quote writes, Burkhauer is rightfully noting that if those who baptize their infants are not doing so according to God's command. So if we, what we did this morning is not by the command of God then they are attributing to God things that are untrue. This is blasphemy. So if what we did this morning is not scriptural, then we're guilty of blasphemy. We're doing something that God told us not to do. We're going beyond what God said. Let me open the blinders to you, folks. That's what people who oppose infant baptism believe. They believe we are doing something blasphemous. That's pretty serious, isn't it? So this is not just some, well, we just don't agree with our Baptist friends about this issue. Or we just have a little minor disagreement about when we should baptize. No! The accusation against us by doing what we did this morning to Charlie in the Baptist view is we did something that is blasphemous. That's pretty serious. We would be under the judgment of God for that which we did this morning. This is pretty important. So when your children come under the influence of Baptists, understand they're saying about us, we are guilty of blasphemy. So we better have a pretty good reason why we did what we did this morning. And it better be something that's a little bit deeper. Well, it's always been our custom. Or everybody in our family has been baptized. Well, that may be true, but we must have a better reason than that. Because the charge against us is that we are committing blasphemy. Because we're doing something that God has not given us permission to do. We're exceeding the bounds. We're going beyond Scripture. On the other hand, It's important to know why one opposes this. 
children are to be baptized, from our point of view, if they are to be baptized as members of the covenant community and are to receive this sign and seal of God's covenant, then those who are opposed to infant baptism are robbing children of God's means of grace. God is providing a means of grace to children, and those who oppose this, those who say, no, not our children, are saying, we don't want God's grace given to our children. Well, that's pretty serious too, isn't it? To keep a child from grace. Because God says, I use this as a means. This isn't grace. This is a means to it. But no, child, you can't have this. You, you are not allowed to have that. No, 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 no. We're not going to let you do that. That's a pretty serious thing too. So this issue of baptism, in particular, the baptism of infants, is a pretty serious matter. We better have our scriptures straight and our understanding straight as well of what is happening here. So why did we do this? What is our scriptural reason why this morning Miles and Dana came forward, they brought their little infant daughter Charlie, I took some water, I put it on Charlie's forehead, baptized her in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why did we do that? According to the scriptures. The answer would be the following. Number one, because of God's covenant. Because of God's covenant. That's what we have in Genesis chapter 17. But we need to back up two chapters. We need to go back to Genesis chapter 15. In chapter 15, this is where God establishes this covenant with Abraham. Chapter 17 is the sign. But chapter 15 is actually the establishment of the covenant. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in, a vi- Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, you sh- So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. 
And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Euphrates to the great river, the river Euphrates, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the lands of the Kenzanite, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I will make a covenant with you. Chapter 17, God comes to him again and says, Now, I made a covenant with you. This is to be the sign of the covenant. Every male is to be circumcised. And you're to keep that up. Take your children, eight days old, your male children. Circumcise them. Do that. Look at chapter, verses 22 of chapter 17. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Go forward to chapter 21. Isaac is born. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Why are we doing, why did we bring Charlie Joy up here this morning and take this water, put it on her forehead because of God's covenant. God makes a covenant with us. Turn forward to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. We're in the upper room. We're with the disciples. Verse 27, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is the, my blood of the covenant. Hear that language, the covenant. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter, in that sermon, on the day of Pentecost, verse 37, Acts 2, 37. He's done with the sermon. He's preached about Christ, crucifixion, and resurrection. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that is, those who were there listening. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and for your children. And for all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. The promise is to you and to your children. Where did we read of that? Where does God state that the promise is to you and to your children? Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Covenant. The foundation of that which we have done this morning is the covenant of God. Turn with me to one more passage, the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 15. Hebrews 9:15. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now understand what's happening. God establishes this covenant with Abraham. The sign of that covenant was circumcision. Christ comes, says, no, my blood, not the blood of those bulls and goats, not the blood of that heifer, not the blood of those animals, not your blood that you spill when you're circumcised, my blood, my blood is what establishes the covenant. That blood only looked forward to, was only a sign 
pointing to the blood of Christ. Christ's blood now is shed. There is now a covenant relationship, a covenant relationship that is established. The old covenant sign of circumcision is dead. It's done. For Christ has shed all the blood that needs to be shed. Therefore, this new, this new covenant has been established. This new relationship in the fulfillment of Christ. And the promise, Peter says, is to you and to your children. Why are we here? Because of the covenant of grace that God establishes with his people. That's why we're here. We are not doing something extra that the Bible doesn't include. We are not adding to the words of God. We are seeking to fulfill that which God has established in his covenant of grace. That it is the work of God, that God graciously comes to us in Christ and establishes a relationship with us and with our children. So that you notice in the Old Testament, what did Abraham do? He took not only his direct descendants, Ishmael and Isaac, and circumcised them, but he circumcised his servants. Everybody who was in the house. Did those servants have faith in God? No. But he gave them the sign. Why? Because they were his responsibility. What happens in the New Testament? Philippian jailer, right? What must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. He, he, what does he do? He's baptized along with his whole household. Everything that belonged to him. Is there a continuation? Absolutely. What happens with Cornelius? He and his household are baptized. What happens with Lydia? She and her household are baptized. Everybody belonging to it. By the way, the word household that is used there, now we come to understand is the word that is used to describe infants. This is biblical, what we're doing. And to keep our children from it is indeed a serious error. But there is a second reason. It's not only God's covenant, it's God's command. Genesis 17 speaks for itself. You do this. If you don't do it, if you don't practice this, you're cut off. The end of the chapter, right? You're cut off. I don't consider you my people. Because you're not set apart by this particular sign of the covenant. Jesus, Matthew 28, what are we commanded to do as the church? Go ye therefore into all the world. What are we supposed to do? Baptize. We are to baptize and we are to disciple. Now, how does the church understand that? Well, let me look at it this way. Is the covenant that Jesus establishes as that new covenant, is that covenant smaller in terms of who it includes or is it larger? Well, notice what happens in the New Testament. Discussions arise because in this new covenant, 
in the relationship with Christ, which is still the covenant of grace, but now not in animal sacrifices, now fulfilled in Christ, what happens in the New Testament? Well, we're including Gentiles in this. Oh, no, you're not. No, 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 no. Big uproar, right, in the church. Huge uproar. All sorts of people are going, what? We can't include Gentiles. What does the word come down? Acts chapter 15. Oh, yes, we do. The covenant is larger than you ever thought. The covenant is bigger than what you thought. You were too small in your thinking. You've got to expand your thinking. The covenant is bigger. Gentiles are included. Chapters and chapters and chapters of the New Testament are dedicated to the controversy. Can Gentiles be included? Who's the other group that gets included? Women. Right? The old covenant, it's only males. Are women included in this new covenant? Yes. We have the example, for example, of Lydia. Comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What do they do? They baptize her. Oh, covenant sign. Now given. Covenant sign given to Gentiles. You don't need to be circumcised. Covenant sign given to women. Impossible for you to have been circumcised, in effect. Doesn't it surprise you that if in this new relationship, God said, no infants, no babies, don't you think somebody would have raised their hand and said, Peter, um, how come we're not doing the infant thing anymore? We used to do that. We used to include infants. Peter, how come... Paul, you're here in Corinth. We're, we've, we've got a bunch of Jewish people here. They're all riled up. They're riled up about women. They're riled up about Gentiles. Why aren't they riled up about the fact that there aren't children included? Why doesn't anybody say anything? Hey, how come you're excluding kids now? Why don't they raise their hand and object? Because they were included. It was a given. Nobody's arguing the fact that you can't baptize children. Because they all understand the covenant relationship. They all understand that that is part of the relationship. The promise is to you and to your children. The promise of baptism is to you and to your children. And to all that are afar off. Everyone that the Lord calls. Scripture closes. The era of Scripture. First century church. Is the first century church arguing this issue about baptism? No. All the evidence we have is that the first century church, the second century church, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth century church are all practicing infant baptism. It is not until 1525 that folks get in the idea that, no, I think this is only for adults. 1,500 years. Now, that's not the reason you establish a practice. The practice is established on the foundation of covenant based upon the command of God. But the practice of the church was not to exclude 
until a small group of people in 1525 decide, nope, we're not doing this anymore. No more children here. Just adults. It made you think, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It, it seems like the history of the Old Testament, the history of the New Testament, the history of the church is establishing exactly that which we did this morning. Maybe this isn't so heretical. Maybe this isn't so blasphemous. Maybe this is actually what God wants us to do. Paul, in writing to those Corinthians, tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 14, that your children, even if only one of the parents is a believer, your children are holy. Now that word that's used holy there does not mean pure in terms of salvation. It means set apart. Why were the children of these Corinthians, only if one of the parents was a believer, why were they set apart? Because they'd been baptized. Because just like circumcision set apart those children as belonging to the Lord, as being in God's covenant, so did baptism. It's the New Testament understanding of what is taking place here. If the practice of the Old Testament and the practice of the New Testament and the practice of the church is that infants are baptized, then the question is, where is the verse that says, don't baptize children anymore? Where is it? Where is it found? The onus of this discussion falls upon those who want to exclude. Say, show me the verse where it, God specifically says, don't do this practice anymore. Don't include your children in the covenant relationship I have. Now, part of the problem here is, is that oftentimes, those who oppose what we did this morning believe wrongly about what we just did here. Their assumption about what happened here is wrong. What doesn't baptism do? What the, These effects, what doesn't baptism do? Baptism does not save. We didn't just save Charlie Joy. Oh, man, she's baptized. Man, she's saved now. You can go to some churches and you will hear that teaching. So-and-so was baptized. Their parents brought them when they were a young child. Now they're in heaven because they were baptized. We go, whoa, 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 that's wrong. No. Scripture is plain. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Grace alone by faith alone justifies the sinner. Baptism doesn't justify Charlie. We didn't save her. We didn't move her from the position of being unsaved to unsaved. 
Five minutes before she was up here, man, she was unsaved. She was on her way to hell. She came up here, got a little water on her forehead. Wow, now she's into heaven. Now she's saved. Just like that. Magic water did it. Right? This saved her. No. The only thing that saves is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not this. That's a wrong belief. That's a wrong assumption. We are not saving the child. Covenant and salvation are not the same thing. A covenant relationship with God is not the same thing as a saved relationship with God. A covenant relationship with God is not the same as election. They are not the same. That assumption that baptism saves is wrong. Secondly, it doesn't take away original sin. It's not like, okay, what happened here is Charlie, we know, is born with original sin, the sin of Adam. We come up here, Miles and Dana present her, Pastor Bob put some water on her. That took care of the original sin problem. Now Charlie's in kind of limbo land. Now, now she's, original sin is gone. That makes it possible now for her to believe in Jesus Christ. This doesn't add to the possibility of her believing in Jesus Christ. You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. Where does the Bible tell me that? It tells me that Abraham's going to have a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac's going to have two boys by the name of Jacob and, or Jacob and Esau. Both Jacob and Esau are circumcised. They're given the sign of the covenant. But Scripture clearly tells me that didn't mean they're saved. Because I go to chapter 9 of the book of Romans and I read Esau, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That Esau, even though he was circumcised, even though he had the sign of the covenant, wasn't saved. Was he in a covenant? Sure. Was he saved? No. Was he in a covenant relationship with God? Yes. Was he elect? No. This isn't about salvation. This isn't about election. It doesn't replace being born again. When Jesus speaks in John chapter 3 about the fact that you must be born again, who is he talking to? Just answer the question. Who is he talking to in John chapter 3? Nicodemus. Was Nicodemus circumcised? Yes. He, he couldn't be in the position he was if he wasn't circumcised, right? He is a teacher of the Jews. He, he's, you know, leader. He's circumcised. Is he in a covenant relationship with God thereby? Yes. Right? Jesus Christ hasn't died yet, so we're still Old Testament. Is he in a covenant relationship with God because of his circumcision? Yes. What does Jesus tell him? Ah, oh, Nicodemus, don't worry about it. You know, you had that little surgery when you were eight days old. It's all taken care of. You're in heaven. 
Is that what he tells Nicodemus? No, what Jesus tells Nicodemus is, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, do I got to go through this whole process of circumcision again? And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to be born by the Spirit and with water. You need a new sign, Nicodemus, of your covenant relationship with me. That this covenant of grace is in my blood. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My friends, never confuse what we did here with salvation. And for those of you who've been attending Wednesday night, we didn't do this because we simply presume she's saved. No. Charlie, as much as any of us needs to be born again. Now, God might have already done that. He might have done that, some sermon that she was listening to, some scripture reading that Miles and Dana were doing, and she heard it in the womb, and God could have converted her. Nothing is impossible for my God. He can convert at the moment of life. He might be converting her now. We don't know. But I can tell you one thing. It wasn't because that. It's because she needs to be born again. So what does baptism do? What what did this do? Well, one, it illustrates something. It's a picture. This water pictures our washing and being cleansed by the blood of Christ. Just as water washes away dirt, So the blood of Christ washes away our sin. That old sign of circumcision, what did that bloody thing do? It pointed to blood. It points to the same thing. It pointed to the blood of Christ. What does this sign do? It points to the washing through the blood of Christ. Secondly, baptism also brings us into covenant. It brings us into the visible church. Are there advantages to being part of the visible church? Read the Old Testament. Was there advantages to being an Israelite? Were you under God's protection? Were you under God's care? Were you under God's providence? Were you under God's blessings that he wasn't giving to other nations? Absolutely. You were his people. You were set apart. There was a hedge about you. Baptism brought Charlie into that covenant relationship with God. Where God has made promises now. Perhaps one way of saying this would be this. God promises in this covenant relationship. I will always be here for you, Charlie. He doesn't say that to the child who has not been baptized. 
You, you may say, I don't like that. Well, that's what it is. That's what God is saying to Abraham. That's what God is saying to us in Hebrews. I will always be there for you, Charlie. What a promise. Now, why is Charlie given that promise? Because she's part of God's covenant people. She's part of the visible body of Christ. Why would I not want my child to live each day with that promise? Now, if you thought what we did here saved the person, well, yeah, I can see why you might avoid this and say, no, 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 no. But that's not what we're saying. We're just saying God makes a promise. I'll be there for you, Charlie. And thirdly, it gives identity. God puts his name on us. He gives our children an identity. They are part of God's covenant people. They're not just nobodies running out there in the world. They're not just mindless amoebas that have grown up and evolved. They're not people who have no hope and can only despair when things go bad. They're a covenant child. God has put his name upon them. As our children face all the difficulties and struggles of growing up, do we want them not to know they're his? That they're his. Not in the sense of salvation, not in the sense of election, but they're under his care because they're part of this. They're included in this. And to exclude them is a serious matter. This is not without responsibilities, is it? For parents, the responsibility is this. To Miles and Dana, in regards to Charlie. They are to raise Charlie to know the Lord. They are to train Charlie to know the Lord. They are not to assume she knows him. They are not to make this presumption that he's known. They are to work hard. Teaching training, instructing, and as our form constantly reminds, to pray, to pray for her. What are they praying for? God, by your power, 
by your might, may your spirit invade the heart of our little child. May your spirit work that great work of causing her to be born again. May she come to faith in Jesus Christ. And by their own example, they are to illustrate that to Charlie. Day in, day out. Week in, week in, out. Year in, year out. That's what they agreed to do. For Charlie, the responsibility is to receive that instruction. As a child of the covenant, the responsibility of that child is to receive it. To desire it. To want it. The desire of a, of a, the responsibility of a covenant child is, oh, after church, from 11.10 to 12, I get instruction, more instruction in the Lord. I want need to desire that. I get to learn more about the Lord. I want to desire that. Wednesday night, I get the opportunity to learn more about the Lord. I desire that. Mom and Dad want to read the Bible around the table. I want to desire that. That's your responsibility as a covenant child, to desire to know this Lord. But the responsibility is also to believe, to confess, not to presume your salvation, not to think you're saved because you were baptized and raised in a good Christian home, but you have the responsibility, that personal accountability, to believe yourself, to confess before men Jesus Christ. But there is also a responsibility for us as the church. Even as parents have the responsibility, yeah, I know, I promised to do everything I could, and, and I know my kid's high school age, but ah, they don't really need to go to class about Westminster Confession of Faith. Now nah, they can go home and sleep some more. No, the responsibility of parents is to do all we can to be faithful in all the means that God provides. But we as the church have to provide those means. We're responsible for that. We're responsible to come alongside of parents and to assist them in the raising and training of their children, but also to set in a godly example. I want you to look around. I want you to take a good look around. Just turn your head. Find the nearest child to you. Turn around, look around. Find a child, nearest child. Brothers and sisters, don't tease each other with this one, okay? Look around. Find a child. Okay? Some of you have that children, that child sitting by you Sunday morning after Sunday morning. They turn around, give you a big smile. You give them a little piece of candy. They smile. They love you. Mommy, where's Mr. So-and-so at night? He's never there. Mommy, how come Mrs. So-and-so doesn't come? How come I don't see her? And don't think those children don't notice you're not in your seat. Because some of you sit in the same seat week after week. They know where you sit. Oh, and we don't want you here if you're hacking and throwing up and have other problems. Or, you know, we know you go on vacation. You know I'm not talking about that. But that consistency of a godly example. But also, are you praying? That's our responsibility are you praying 
You can pray for Charlie outside of today. Is today going to be the only day you ever pray for Charlie? Why do we hand out a photo directory? Well, so you can have names, addresses, you get to learn. No, you can also see those children. You can pray for Lord, Lord, remember. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not all my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Only Christ. No baptism, no table can save me. No great religious practice can save me. Only Christ. Why do we do what we do? Because only Christ can save that child. And we baptize. Because God desires that relationship. God commands that we do so. That we bring this child to know that only Christ will save her soul. Father, thank you for your word. Not easy to take this all in. Not easy to think of all of this. And we could have drugged this out in several different passages and sermons. Sometimes, Lord, we need it all at once. We need to hear it all so we don't get our minds distorted from the truth. The truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that we might be faithful to that word. To not go beyond it, but to not fall short of it either. In Christ's name, God's people say,